0: Welcome to this episode of the Skip Meetings podcast, the podcast for curious professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel I'm the editor in chief of Skip Meetings. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Vanessa Lovett, the founder of Forte Futures. This episode is titled Customer Obsessed Leadership. In our conversation, we talk about how we can take full advantage of the potential of virtual events. We talk about why taking a less is more approach to technology is almost always the right thing to do. We talk about how service level is the game changer for event technology providers. We talk about the rise of pleasure and how planners can use it to their advantage. And we talk about how there are more women in leadership positions today, but there are still lots of work to do. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the podcast. You can find them on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. Travel Portland presents a meditation for meeting planners. Close your eyes and picture your conference in Portland, Oregon. Your budget is totally under control. With no sales tax, you've saved thousands, which you spend on a group dinner at one of Portland's incredible restaurants. The food, delicious. Your attendees, delighted. And the glory, all yours. Portland, yours to find, yours to share. So uh, welcome, everybody. This is uh, another episode of the Skip Meetings podcast, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Vanessa Lovett. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It is absolutely brilliant to have the chance to do this with you.
0: So um, always good to chat. Wanted to start by just asking you to give a short introduction about your uh, experience in events, your career so far. Would love to start from the point of where you kind of first come across the industry and in some ways I don't know if I'm putting words in your mouth but sort of understand that there is an events industry because I think a lot of people don't necessarily know that when they're growing up and when they're kind of you know figuring out their career and then talk about where where you are now
1: Absolutely. And I think it's interesting you say a lot of people don't know necessarily about the events industry as they're coming up through their career. I think there's a lot of very, very experienced business professionals who still have no idea what the scope and scale of this amazing industry is. So I got into events quite early on. Um, I was 21, I think, actually, when I joined the first conference and company that I got involved with. And it was, as it is for so many people in this world, a little bit of an unexpected but very pleasant accident. <laughs> um, I was working for a, some uh, fashion retail brands, which was what I thought I wanted to do. And it turns out I really didn't get the connection with it that I thought I was going to. And a a friend of a friend worked at the incredibly impressive organization that is informer in fact she still works there so this is quite some time ago and she's incredibly senior there now on their operations team and she introduced me to the concept of commercial conferencing in a nutshell and I learned all about this amazing event that they were going to be going to run it was when Informa was still responsible for the um, GSMA events so this is quite a long long time ago now and they were desperately in need of team members to go out to Cannes a couple of weeks later and help them run the event so instantly as a 21 year old I was like "Ooh." I can go to France in two weeks and help run an event. And as it turned out, I wasn't able to go, but that was how I found out about the event sector. And very quickly then did my research, found out about another couple of companies, ended up uh, uh, interviewing with three different companies for a variety of roles. One was in uh, operations, one was in sales, and one was in production, which in conferencing companies doesn't mean the audiovisual production side of the event it means actually writing the programs and and doing the background research and that was the role I ended up in uh, as my first first events role and then stayed with that company it was a commercial conferencing company so all of my background is b2b that's probably a really important thing for me to share early on that my contexts and learnings and experiences have all been in the b2b events world Um, very heavily in commercial conferencing also internal Uh, communications events, um, marketing events, a lot of go-to-market and lead generation and brand building events too and and it's been amazing. I mean it's just been a whirlwind of experiences. Um, I've been very lucky to not just work in Uh, real-life events, in-person events as we often now call them. We never used to have to have a name for them, did we? But uh, in 2012, so quite a long time ago now, I ran my first ever digital event, which at the time... It was so basic. I mean, I cringe when I think about how basic it was now from a technical setup, but it worked and it was quite innovative at the time. And I spent a lot of time then working on digital only events, which pre-pandemic made me something of a of an oddity actually in the in the sector. There weren't a lot of people doing that way and back.
0: I just- then ask that's a really interesting uh kind of part of the journey but i can kind of just ask what was the motivation for doing virtual events from the company or from your? yeah
1: i yeah I, I so this makes me chuckle as well actually the team that i was working with at the time absolutely phenomenal team of um hungry and Willing to take risks, individuals calculated, measured risks, of course, but experimental that's the word I'm looking for. They were very, very experimental group. And at the time, we were running a lot of sponsored webinars. So a sponsor would invest in running a webinar, we would effectively run it for them, make sure that the content was um, incentivizing for their target audience to want to register and, and ultimately sign up. And we used to sit around and have these conversations what's the next webinar? What's the next webinar? We used to ask ourselves this all the time we'd say webinars are getting old (laughs) and you know that we were so wrong they really weren't as it turned out but because we were running so many of them at the time they felt like they were perhaps getting a bit stale and we were looking for a new solution to offer to sponsors but also something a little grander I guess than a webinar and a standalone session we wanted to be able to offer a, a more uh, wholesome i guess or holistic experience online and we did this through a combination of very very basic linked series linked webinars but we did also start to look at the uh, well actually use the virtual event platforms that did exist then which there were there weren't very many which i realize sounds crazy now because there are so many but i think there were maybe six and they were they were pretty basic some of them some of them were actually relatively advanced but what um, are we
0: talking about here in expo digitel
1: um six
0: connects maybe i don't know
1: yes and then the one that we did end up using quite a bit which would have been a little bit later on um uh, maybe 2017 i'm gonna guess on was was vfairs Used vfairs yeah. quite a bit actually as a, a an early user great team to work with i mean so responsive so helpful uh, which we really needed because it was still a pretty pretty new concept back then and that was very heavily designed you know you have the auditorium that you'd visually walk into and then trying to get delegates to behave how we wanted them to behave was really hard really really hard but we developed a few tips and tricks
0: <laughs> interesting and where did you go from there then yes
1: yeah, so when i left there i set up independently I think I was with that company for 14 wonderful years, uh, but 14 years is a really long time to be in the same place, and I very much needed to not be in the same place, I think, for a little while after that. So I worked with quite a few, five in total different, um, I would call them B2B media businesses because they weren't all just events businesses, actually, to help set up or expand their digital presence, which was all around webinars, digital events, or digital content, actually, it didn't, it could have been written or um, video content as well. And that's what I was doing when the pandemic hit. So I had five brilliant customers, all of whom were already investing in their digital expansion, which was great. But they all wanted more time. (laughs) And they all wanted and needed more, which was completely right. And it was a very, I, I, I was a fortunate person i guess in that regard that i was winning more business not less business and i remember on multiple occasions feeling really quite guilty that so many of my amazing previous colleagues and contacts in the industry were having a very difficult time um but it became quite overwhelming i couldn't keep giving them all more time and so i realized i needed to make a change somehow which was either cutting down to two of them and trying to uh, do uh, enough work for, for those two but actually, what I ended up doing was a complete change in tack, going from being organizer side to supplier side. So I joined one of the virtual event platforms. I saw, as so it was Glisser. I think it's all right to say that Glisser is a really interesting story in itself. Absolutely, and,
0: let's call names. Unfortunately, Glisser yeah, is no longer. Unfortunately, in business,
1: but, uh... that was a, actually very sad. Sad moment when I learned about that, but that can come later. Um, so I saw Mike Piddock, who was the founder of Glisser, speak on a webinar. And I thought everything he said I agreed with, and everything he said was the future of Vents, to be honest. So I sent him a link to him in message and asked him if I could have a job. And uh, Many, many conversations later, there was plenty of due diligence and, and rigor in the process. But I joined Lyssa and had an absolutely incredible time with them. I was nearly two years, just under by the time I left. And that experience of seeing such evolution on the event tech side of the sector um, such development and, and growth and expansion, in my opinion, on the whole approach to events across the sector was humbling at times to see. It was um, frenetic at times to be part of such a fast growing startup. And it was truly fascinating to see how many different use cases uh, for events the different uh, customers were taking and to see the different goals and objectives and challenges and frustrations Uh, and I really did find that that role was a great great privilege to have I will always think back on it with such fondness Uh, and also the relationships built were just yeah phenomenal fantastic so
0: Really question great companies. about that moment in time. So mm. the start of the pandemic, or the first few months, that the big lockdowns, etc. Mm. Um, were you surprised at how, I guess, how the industry struggled to figure out virtual events? Because I think we were both in in positions where we were sort of pretty comfortable with that. Yeah, and I was certainly surprised at how. I, I understand, of course, that the venue people and the catering people there was no business in virtual events, Mm -hmm. but there were so many kind of content-focused people and organization-focused people that I felt really were sort of completely lost. And I was so surprised that they couldn't figure out how to do what they did in a virtual Do you
1: know what I think it is, or was actually, it was, was fear. Uh, So so yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I found it at times a little bit frustrating, how afraid people were of making mistakes of the technology actually itself i think there was a lot of i'm not a tech person i don't get it i can't understand it and actually a lot of it is even then was pretty plug and play was it always perfectly intuitive and brilliantly designed absolutely categorically not because a lot of this stuff was developed to breakneck speed and not how anyone would have done it by um any normal process or, or normal effort, um, but I, I, you're particularly making me remember a conversation I had, and it was about, I think it was about uh, embedding a Zoom key, well, not even embedding, it was inserting a Zoom key into a virtual event platform, so that, it wasn't Glisser, it was um, before I joined Glissa, so that the attendees would be able to see the live stream, which was just basically Zoom feeding into a virtual event platform. And it was Brella, actually. I remember now it was Brella. And the the team just couldn't get it. They couldn't get that all they had to do was copy and paste a key and just put it into Brella, into the box that said, insert stream key here. <laughs> and this conversation went on for about an hour with this sort of deep-seated fear that they'd done it wrong um, because they hadn't done it before. So I don't, I, I, I wasn't critical of individuals who were struggling with it and also at the same time was struggling with huge volumes of change at work also struggling with often incredible pressures at home um but it was yes it was surprising i suppose uh, it it felt very comfortable what to do for me and it didn't feel scary of how we actually going to make this event happen it was all the usual live event moments of whoo, sitting on a knife edge is it all going to go okay um but it, yes it did feel like we weren't advanced enough uh, perhaps as an entire sector and we'd allowed ourselves to yeah. not pay enough attention to the future but I think a lot of people have recognized that since and we've been forced to to modernize in a time frame that we probably would have been a lot slower if we hadn't been yeah. forced to take this approach Absolutely.
0: and i agree with you i don't think there's any point in criticizing uh, people or anything like that it was obviously a lot of pressure and a lot of fear it was more from the sense of i guess the somewhat sort of distancing of the industry in general from technology that i think yeah. continues to be a challenge in some ways yeah, right? because we I, sort I of had this great test and then suddenly it was panic stations and then we figured it out but I wanted to actually go back to your comment you said earlier that um you were doing these virtual events and they're pretty basic platforms but you had some tips on how to make people behave the way you yeah. wanted them to right do you remember yeah. the kind of broadly what they were because I think that's always fascinating you create these 3d spaces or you don't or whatever platform you run on, there's always behaviors like okay there's a q a there's a chat and everybody puts yep. the questions in the chat and they're that's frustrating you know like those kind of things <laughs> yeah. like what were you what were people doing and how, what were you telling them or how are you kind of getting yep. them to go in the direction that you wanted to, them to go
1: yeah so first thing i would say is and this definitely still stands, but less is more. So we fell down the same trap that pretty much everybody does when they first start with these platforms and we switched on every feature we possibly could (laughs) because I mentioned the team was very experimental and very sort of progressive minded and wanted to test all these cool new features. So let's have three meeting rooms on at the same time as the exhibition hall and let's have three live sessions at the same time. It was totally overwhelming for attendees arriving and um, the the visual impact of particularly VFairs when we were using it then was such a novelty at that point in time that you'd arrive in a virtual um, exhibition room, for example, or a virtual um, event lobby. And there were so many things to click on. And that's exactly what people did. They clicked around like random flies flying around a room and you could see it when you tracked where an individual had been they there was no rhyme nor reason to it so actually less was less is more was the approach we took which was to really minimize the volume of activity going on simultaneously and to Make it much harder for someone to just click around randomly all over the shop and be very, very clear with the notifications, which again, at the time, people mostly had notifications enabled because it was uh, a different era when people were a little bit more open to that and it was still in the novelty factor. Um, to be much clearer with signposting around the events as well which I think is something you have to continue to do today with um, both in person and and online events actually you've just got to tell people what to do it it sounds so simple but folks like to be told at events in my opinion on the whole there are some events that are exceptions to that rule they're very very heavy networking events so I'm going to leave that group of events out of this statement but where you've got content heavy events and you've created a bit of a journey for attendees at that event just tell them tell them what that journey is and and send them on it because people don't ever do enough preparation for an event in my experience and I'm going to include myself in that sometimes too it's just so damn hard to find the time
0: you Pre-event. write all those emails to tell people what they should be doing and then nobody reads the emails and they show up and they're like, "What? what what's happening? Yeah.
1: Uh, and I'm, I'm much better on the whole at this now, but I was definitely guilty uh, in the past of turning up to an event and then being like, oh, right, where's the agenda? <laughs> and obviously I'd looked at it when I was deciding to go, but then not looking at it again, that's just stupid, you know, but that's not, abnormal behaviour. It's just how attendees still behave very often. I would argue
0: that that's the vast majority of people. And so I think it's important that we have things in place to to mitigate that and to help them figure that out. Yes. And
1: if I now arrived, as I said, I am genuinely much better at it now because I just get so frustrated at myself for not making the most of the day if I don't prepare a little bit. But when you haven't prepared and you arrive and someone tells you what to do, you are so happy. Oh, great! Thanks for telling me. Now I don't have to spend ages scrolling through my phone or you know, getting out my laptop or trying to find a board with the agenda on it. Um, yeah, so, I'm always yeah, appreciative of,
0: of apps that allow you to see the agenda when you're offline. Like if an event has mm-hmm. an app, because yep. if you're on a flight on the way to the event, mm. you're likely thinking about that event. That if you can scroll through an agenda and kind of, even if it's not you know up to date with the latest information, if you can get a, a pretty yeah. good agenda there, that that's that's the place where i'm really thinking about the event right that's that's the time when when i think it, it really sinks in
1: yes especially on a plane when you can't do a lot else
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly i'm not a fan of wi-fi on planes so i do like the, uh, the offline modes whenever i can but let's uh let's get back I, I know we haven't come to the present day so i want to make sure to kind of oh, to bring you yes your, your present day as well so glisser that y- ended as well and then you you Stayed within the tech side. Right? Yeah, I
1: did. I started working for a company called Notified, really interesting business that has both event technology, webinars, virtual events, predominantly, and also a very strong arm in investor relations and press uh, re- uh, press relations. I was going to say that, which isn't quite the right phrase, but uh, mm-hmm. a really strong um, uh, press release feature set as well. Uh, PR, that's the right phrase. Public relations. There we go. Sorry, got there in the end. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and it was uh, my main reason for wanting to go there was to experience tech outside the event tech world, which is exactly what I got there. It was a really, um, really impactful uh, way to learn about different tech lines and and how it was a huge business as well. Uh, it's certainly in the event tech land, huge business. Uh, so it was great to see the different approach that you'd take in a in a large business compared to to a smaller business so it was a really good addition to my yeah i would say my overall event tech and uh, event landscape understanding
0: and this was so notified made two acquisitions i believe right they had they, they acquired hub i think in 2017 or four, uh
1: maybe even i think it might have been a bit later than that even maybe even okay. 20 2020 even i'm sorry i actually don't it was before i joined Um, but it was certainly reasonably recent yeah so i had the great chance to work with the brilliant ali Magar, who set up hub absolutely awesome person to work with really enjoyed my my time with her
0: but they also had another um acquisition right did they I'm, 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 I'm picking sure.
1: my brains now, and I feel like this is something I should know. <laughs> um, is but it, it's not. Who in
0: was in Expo not part uh, of, Right. In
1: Sorry, you're right. So, um, great point. You have to get back in time a little bit on this yes yeah just
0: because i'm thinking you yes. know the notified platform essentially comes from those two acquisitions if i'm not mistaken i don't want yeah any no kind you of are you secrets, are correct you I'm are correct that was
1: further before so notified was yeah. formerly known as Intrado, which might be more yes. familiar actually to some listeners and uh in expo i yes i believe you're correct was acquired by Intrado quite a while ago i think that one might have been more of the time frame that you were thinking actually and hub was more yeah, Hub was actually twenty
0: twenty one. I'm just reading that. so yeah. yeah, it
1: was, it was definitely. Uh, so yes, you're absolutely absolutely correct. Sorry, I was thinking in more recent times, and yes. so yes, InExpo was the I guess original platform, um, and even actually before then, they had a separate webinar platform as well. So it's actually the amalgamation of lots of incredibly long standing. Tech yeah. products. Um, and that must but,
0: have its challenges as well, right? Because you have yeah, these different course. products that you're kind of bringing into one umbrella brand and you're trying to kind of get clients to use whichever. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And, you know, program. the thing that Notified absolutely blew me away with is the service. I mean, incredible, incredible levels of service provided to their clients. And That was something that was so often criticised during the pandemic was the lack of service that some providers were able to offer or wanted to offer, actually, I think in some instances where they were trying to go down a really self-service route and and notified really, really embrace the service in a completely impressive and, and faultless way, actually. So that was a great exposure piece for me as well.
0: Let me let me check something with you on that. I, I was speaking to Tim Groot from Grip, yeah. I believe you know, yeah. and he had a comment that I've been re- meaning to really expand on, which was, if the tech is equal, you know, if the, if the solutions offered between two solutions is is relatively equal, service level will always be the decision. Like that yes. will be what the decider of how people uh, buy software, and I think that's something that it, it is becoming more and more obvious. But it, it's an interesting factor because. I mean to me it speaks to the fact that events are so time critical and you need to feel really confident that the technology is going to work and you're only going to feel that if you know that the service is going to be there right that the support is going to be there but i but like you say i think that whole SaaS model i think a lot of the tech companies have this dream of everything being (sighs) self-service and then that's not what event managers want
1: so i've i i've said this several times to um often within businesses I've been working in and, and I'm going to stand by it for now on the whole the event sector let me change that sorry virtual event platforms will struggle with a fully SaaS model because the event, the nature of events doesn't fit into a fully SaaS model in that they are events are not repeatable repeatable, repeatable, repeatable in exactly the same fashion. They are rarely as frequent as most SaaS platforms would be used. Let's just take Salesforce because everyone's familiar with it. A user of Salesforce will be going in there, but will be living in there probably on a daily basis. Multiple logins per day cannot do their work without using it pretty much every day. Totally different to a virtual event platform where you may only need it twice a year you may need it five times a month sure but you may not need it that frequently and so you are never going to be retaining and engaging the users in the same way as you would on a slightly more typical SaaS approach now there are certain um, event tech solutions that are a little bit better suited to being completely self-service plug and play really really nice and simple and that's awesome uh, but the nature of events and the uh, the, uh, the sort of i was going to say seasonality but i don't mean quite literally by the seasons i mean the infrequency of use quite possibly that would be associated with events make it very very hard uh for a full sasmo there are other reasons beyond that as well but it's the principle that is good on paper in practice difficult really difficult cool.
0: I think it's that uh, high stakes and time-specific yep. nature of events, right? When you have so many people logging in at one time, whether if it's in person or, or, or you know, virtual, but technology just has to work. And-
1: yeah. And I think if you imagine a really, really crucial internal communication event where, so if I think of one in the past, I'm not going to name the company, but big four is probably okay. Every single employee across their globe was invited to the event, It ran over a 24 hour window. And at one point, the CEO addressed the audience. That moment in time, I've actually got goosebumps thinking about it. (laughs) The pressure associated with that from a delivery perspective is insane. And even if, in my opinion, that CEO was going to log into someone's Salesforce instance, to go back to the Salesforce comparison, I think it's quite likely that somebody would have contacted Salesforce to say, by the way, our CEO is going to log in and check this out. Can we just make sure everything's perfect? <laughs> so, and in reality, that never actually happens. But it is such high stakes, as you say, and it's, again, quite hard to fit that into a repeatable
0: SaaS model. Yeah. I, there's a, I don't know if you've been following the kind of Shopify anti-meetings thing that they're doing i haven't
1: i i need to know this
0: (laughs) so i was just kind of thinking because they've just um created an internal uh widget on i think chrome or something like that that Hmm. gives people an estimate of how much money a meeting is costing and this is for internal meetings right but it sort of says hey if you're having a half an hour meeting with people at these levels that meeting is going to be you know like two thousand dollars worth of it's horrifying right (laughs) and if you think about that for an event right it would be millions right if you think about the high stakes of bringing it all together and when you put it in those terms it almost kind of dwarfs the cost of any event and the kind of any extra cost that you need to invest in support you're like yep yep we'll we'll set that up right
1: well and actually that leads on something which i feel very very passionately about in the b2b event sector at the moment is that you have to make events worth people's time because it's not just the cost you know maybe they've got to fly somewhere but it's the 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 unmeasured cost of them not doing their regular work and it's I think that's a much bigger priority for folks now when they're attending or certainly when they're reviewing their experience of an event is was it actually worth my time I think we're way more discerning with our time now especially if travel is involved I still think people are very um selective about what travel they are and aren't willing to do at this point in time and sure that may continue to soften because I think that's even softened over the last 12 months but is it actually worth their time as well as the cost huge question that has to be asked way more now than it had to be asked five years ago
0: yeah i agree with you there i think uh, a lot of i am in a very comfortable position that i get invited to speak at a lot of events and to a lot of events and a lot of times i feel from the organizers that there's just this expectation that i'll jump on the plane because mm it's covered like they're going to cover my costs and put me up in a nice hotel and I'll just be like delighted to jump on a plane and go do that and yeah and I have to admit that I'm not right like I it has to make sense for the business it has to make sense for me it has to make it has to take a lot of boxes and and I'm always amazed that people sort of feel quite shocked that I'm kind of saying no a lot of times so yeah Yeah. I feel like as an industry we're a bit spoiled in that sense
1: you have to be selective and that's a good thing in my opinion but I'd also think we are going to see an increasing um, preference for I really detest this word but it works but pleasure travel so business and leisure and blending them together when you can conversation about this just yesterday even um, I did this myself at the beginning of the year I was invited to speak at an event in Saudi Arabia they very kindly covered my expenses but I only went because I took a couple of days of holiday and I extended it and I actually experienced somewhere I would never previously have been before if I could only have gone done the event and come back the next day I probably wouldn't have done it to be honest it's firstly a reasonably long way to go for a short trip but it I don't know if I'd have been able to justify the time but because I could add a personal experience into it as well it was one of the best trips I've done, well, quite literally in years, thanks to COVID. But um, it was an absolutely fantastic experience. And I, I think the concept of pleasure, as I said, not my favorite word, but it works, uh, is is on the rise. And it's going to
0: affect B2B events going forwards. Let me dig a little bit deeper on that one, because I, I don't see this as a trend. Uh, I see events also investing in this as a trend. Mm. So perhaps selecting destinations that are more leisure, you know, kind of focused or more attractive in some ways. Do you think there's a danger that the industry kind of goes back in time and Mm -hmm. becomes just a a jolly good ride parties. to nice destinations. <laughs> boondoggles, boondoggles. Yeah. I remember
1: being told about those when I used to run events in the States years ago. But, um,
0: but actually- it's, it's a serious question, right? Because I think there's this sort of, oh, pleasure seems like a sort of code word for it's it's okay. It's business and pleasure. But yeah. are we then just having parties and people going to events that are nice parties?
1: Do you know, that's not what I see. It is. I think there's a risk for sure. Uh, and it's a risk that should always be Considered that you don't you don't get the balance wrong, but actually exactly what I was saying earlier, people are still incredibly discerning with their time, and I don't believe that people are going to waste their time going to the business portion of a trip that is a is a waste of their time. I just don't think people will justify it. There is still going to be the need to justify your reasons for going to business activities, uh, and I also think looking forwards and this potentially opens a huge can of worms, but. In the not too distant future, there's going to be the carbon measurement of attending these sorts of activities as well. So, uh, no, I think I'm going to say no. Is it a risk? Yes. Do I think it will happen? I believe in us. I'm going to say no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> more, more to come on that. I think that there's there's definitely a trend there that's worth exploring. And, and I, I just feel like the, the, the industry spent a long time justifying the ROI yeah. of events. And yeah. I think if they are, they do become boondoggles. There's a danger that things are cut yeah, and could you know, undermine we just heard, themselves. Yeah, we just heard this morning about the Commonwealth Games being uh, cancelled. Bit of a different reason for that, and it's not directly related. Yeah. but I think there's an element of the politics around investing a huge amount of money in yeah. a public event like that, and a state kind of saying, "No thanks." You know, we said we'd do it, but actually it's way more expensive than we thought it was going to be. And we'd rather invest in hospitals and schools. And it's hard to argue against that.
1: It's incredibly hard. I don't think you can argue against the reasoning. Um, You might be frustrated by the perhaps forecasting and planning that went into uh, estimating the costs that were by all accounts what we're hearing at the moment so far out from what they've actually turning out to look like they're going to be um but which just do... not unusual
0: unfortunately right we all hear stories of olympic games and other massive events yeah. that go twice three times over budget and things like that and uh
1: well, this sort of just,
0: sort of gets you know just just something that happens and you know, event you budgeting,
1: hey, that's a whole whole topic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, twice or three times is a bit exaggerated for any kind of corporate event that I know, but yeah. Yes, that's true. That's
1: true. I think um I think you're right to flag it though, because it could be easy to get carried away with the fun stuff. And and actually, I also feel that B2B events need as much of the experience-based uh <sighs> experience that happens yeah. at an event I can't quite conjure up the word um activities engagements you know the things that that connect with people and I, I do think that is driven by the b2c event world
0: mm-hmm.
1: people have an expectation of feeling some sort of an emotional connection with an event in my experience these days and I think that's a great thing and I don't think we should say oh it's a b2b event therefore it doesn't need to emotionally connect with people and we don't want people to go home feeling you know personally satisfied as well as uh, satisfied from a, a business perspective and getting that balance is going to be challenging and it should definitely be be addressed so i think you're absolutely right to raise it i'd like to believe that in the next couple of years we can at least make a a good inroad into getting this balance right
0: yep absolutely i like that the idea of having balance so we haven't actually come to what you're doing right now, uh, so I'd love to make sure we cover that um, and also just talk a little bit about your work um, with women in leadership, because I think uh, yeah. you're one of the few um, women in, you know, in, in in event tech or has been working in event tech. And and, um, and I think it would be interesting to talk about that. But tell me what you're doing now and let's jump into that afterwards.
1: Yes, for sure. So I'm now doing quite a lot of independent work. So consulting and contracting in the event space predominantly, some also in the uh, sort of obviously slightly wider media space. So I'm doing some work at the moment with an event tech company, awesome gamification tools, help them develop their partnerships program. Uh, I'm doing some actually some work quite randomly with uh, a drinks company so that falls outside the tech work got some advisory work there also working with uh, an event tech marketplace which has uh, been really interesting to see that grow and develop and most of my time for the rest of this year is with uh, an event organizer again so back on the uh, delivery side the organizer side with a, a very large publishing house which is been a real privilege to be involved in and, and a part of that actually and to help them de- develop their event strategy both digital their all of their events are hybrid actually digital and in person and also their video on demand strategy as well so quite a lot of different activities different organizations and it's been brilliant to see organizer side again after a few years and to see the uh, the real organizer mentality to event tech uh having been on the other side has been fascinating actually uh some Massive tech products and some quite smaller tech products, many being considered as well. Which is, so I'm very lucky to be still involved in event tech in lots
0: of different ways. Mm -hmm. And feel free to name names. I know you avoided that, but uh, but you're you're very well. I don't
1: know if I'm. I don't know if I'm allowed to. And I don't suddenly feel like I haven't. I haven't asked their permission, so I don't want to go blab it on a podcast. But I'm sure they'd be okay with it if I'd asked in advance. I should have asked in advance. (laughs)
0: So tell me about your work with with women in leadership, because I think that's an issue that we come to often with our guests. And I think it's always good to highlight any uh, positive initiatives there.
1: Well, where to begin? Um, We've seen massive progress, firstly, and I think it's really important to acknowledge when progress, when it happens. Uh, I've always been fortunate that I've never felt that I've been, I would say, held back by by being a woman in business. Uh, there are definitely moments when I go, oh, not many other people here in this room who um, well, I would automatically assume would identify as being women, but um, it, I do think we've made great progress and there's a lot more that we can continue to do. I think just to raise the profile of women and, and female leadership in this sector and not just the tech side, actually. Um, I think it's important to address it across all elements of the event sector. One thing that really stands out to me, which tells me we still need to do more on this, uh, and I wish I could remember the exact numbers and I apologize that I can't, but there was a very interesting um, survey result released uh, was probably the beginning of this year. And it talked about uh, different seniority levels throughout the entire event sector. I would say it's probably more organizer side than supplier side if there was a, um, a trend in there. And what was very clear is that at the lower levels and the mid-levels, it's the, the sector is still very female dominated. Um, but actually, the more higher, the, the higher up you go the the lower that number drops and the more likely you are to see that companies have male leadership at the top and that to me does say we we're, we're still not getting something quite right with retaining women in this space well you know this reflects is reflected in many companies uh, sorry industries not just the event sector so we have got a lot more to do and i think a lot of this comes around enabling all of the workforce to have flexibility, all of the workforce to have good access to parental leave, which I know in theory in the UK at least, which is where I'm based, in theory, parental leave is much better now or at least what's available it doesn't mean people necessarily take it yet because they don't necessarily feel that they can take it but i think we're, we're, there's progress and we've just got to keep pushing it and keep enabling both male and female leaders to to enable each other actually i don't think it is one sided i don't think it's just about women making a change i don't think it's just about men making a change i think it's a really collaborative effort it's amazing to see organisations like women in exhibitions thriving and they really that organisation is thriving. It's fantastic to see. um, And I'm sure it will continue to thrive. And there's some wonderful male advocates that are part of that too. So progress, we need more. I think if I was to say one thing that would maybe be my call to arms, it is, gentlemen, we need you to keep pushing this for us. It is not a female problem. It is not a male problem. This is a combined effort and you are a hundred percent welcome at the table. And I say that because, um, it was last year's international women's day. And I asked a very experienced, um, a fellow consultant in the space is international women's day. Are you going to do anything. And he was like, Am I allowed to? I said, "Well, you've got a wife and two daughters, so I'm going to go with yes. You're allowed to say something, do something to promote International Women's Day." And that's a throwaway example, but it did make me realise that if he didn't feel that he was allowed to, that he was unlikely to be the only uh, gentleman in that position. So, yeah, we we still need you. Please be vocal. Please, if you think you can be doing more, you can be doing more. And collectively, I think we can all make some more progress.
0: I think that's excellent points. Um, I just wanted to highlight that I think Freeman came out with a survey, or they came out with some data about the next generation of event goers. And I thought that was Mm -hmm. interesting. But I picked out a data point that they had in there, which was, I believe, 82% of event attendees across Freeman's shows, and as we know, Freeman does thousands and thousands of shows, are male. Mm. And although that's slightly changing, so the newer generations are slightly more female, there's still something like seventy percent male, wow. yeah. which is not something we talk about a lot. You know, we talk about the yeah. male-female balance in the sector and the leadership thing, which is absolutely you know right to be talked about. But we also don't talk about that Attendees. in general.
1: Yeah, it's well
0: women organizing events for men to attend.
1: Yeah, and I think it's... that's an
0: even bigger sort of signal that as a whole society we're not quite there yet.
1: We're we're not quite there yet. We are definitely not quite yet there. We're we're nowhere near there, actually, if I'm really (laughs) blunt. But it's only by having these metrics. So thank you, Freeman, for taking the time to report those. It's only by having this in black and white that we can actually say this is something we need to address. Otherwise, it's speculative. So. You know, we've, we've got to start from somewhere and just even getting those baseline stats is a phenomenal start frankly so we can all do more baby steps Absolutely. they all make a massive difference
0: Vanessa great to have you on the podcast we could talk for a few more hours but I want to wrap up <laughs> uh, make sure we will keep uh, everybody honest on their, on their time etc sure. but I wanted to get your recommendation for a someone else to have on the podcast
1: Yes. My recommendation is an amazing individual called Nick Bennett. And Nick is all about the creator economy, uh, the power of people first go to market, and so not product first, but actually getting people to promote what you do on your behalf. Uh, so he would say, uh, sorry I would say the influencer economy he probably wouldn't use the word influencer because he's much uh, more eloquent on these matters than I am that he's writing a book on this at the moment he is absolutely brilliant with his content and I think he could be a great person to help the event sector learn.
0: Excellent we we appreciate your recommendation and we will uh, connect with Nick and then try to make it happen. Awesome. Thanks again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, uh, really thanks for having me. Conversation. Hope everybody listening also enjoy the conversation and uh, see you again soon.
1: Thank you.